Welcome to the Sisters of Industry podcast with hosts Laura Brown and Jen Williams, where the goal is to help you work harder, lean smarter, and live life better. Where one bloodline and different industry experiences will provide new insight to make you more effective at work and play. Our mistakes will help all of us laugh and learn. Get ready to lean in, lean out, and possibly snort coffee out your nose as they talk about all things business, leadership, and life. Let's go. I'm Laura, the sister who proudly waves the marching band rules flag in her life. Shout out to my marching band parent friends. And years later, talks about when her high school marching band won the Atlantic Coast Championship. Competition in music, what's not to love? And I'm Jen, who coincidentally is the sister who froze watching those marching band competitions from the stand, but also the sister who wasn't so sure about marching band until I found out I could audition to be the drum major and tell everyone else what to do. On today's episode, we're kicking off a new series on competition. We're going to talk about using strengths to win and also the dark side of competition in industry. But first, we're starting the conversation with a look at some of the things that fuel our competitive fire. So Laura, I'm feeling very Olympic today. Name that movie. Oh, it's one of my favorites, Cool Runnings, which I believe Liza Jane just told me is now available on Disney Plus to watch. She is correct, and I know she is correct, because we watched it with our children last weekend, and I felt like I was exposing them to a classic. The most hilarious part was that they protested watching it and then have been quoting it ever since. There's a whole lot of, um, Senka, you dead man. Yaman. Yaman. So anyway, I love the Olympics, Lara. I love, 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 love the Olympics, especially the Summer Olympics. And so here we are in 2020, and it is an Olympic year. This is so exciting. I can't, I can't even get it together. I'm so excited about it. So we even always throw a party for Olympic kickoff, um, something we've not done yet, actually, in York since we moved back. But we love it to the point that we even invite people over and have mini competitions while we watch the opening festivities. That is excellent. That is so much fun. And I think, honestly, I mean, we have to be, we have to be honest. We try to always be honest on this podcast. Part of the reason that we love the Olympics so much is that we are competitive people. Um, we like to win and doesn't matter even what it is. Um, you can win at board games and you can win at athletic endeavors. I remember that when we were kids, we used to even compete on who would get the first outdoor shower coming back from the beach on vacation. Um, we, we could p- compete about everything. What's wrong with us? I think it is healthy and beautiful, Jen, (laughs) that we have this competition issue, don't you? I hope so. I hope so. Because one of the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is that competition is very much part of our culture and something that can be used for a whole lot of good. Competition is what leads us to innovation. Competition pushes us farther than we would often go on our own. Competition 
even brings us together. So again, thinking through an Olympic kind of lens with competition, but nothing brings people together like pulling for a shared goal or shared end game. And so one of the things that I'm curious about, and I'm, I think you might be a little bit too, is looking back in our own lives, knowing that we're competitive people, how do you think we got that way. And I'm asking just so that I'm, you know, not totally setting you up up front. We're going to be talking about what fuels our competitive fire. So for you and I, Laura, go back or for you and me, how did we get this way? It's a really interesting question because I have to tell you, like, there's definitely not a moment where I go and mom and dad set us down and said, competition will make you better. Do it. Right. But we never lost sight of how important competition was. And I have to say um, that I think it was our exposure to sports to some degree, because from a very, very young age, we understood what competition was in the context of a of that we were learning through watching sports, which is what a lot of our kids do today and raises some interesting questions as our sports heroes have changed over the years. Um, but I think that was one. And I also think that whether they did it on purpose or not, our parents put us in a position where we always understood where we stood. And we're honest about that. I mean, I'll be very clear. I knew you were the better piano player. I was losing at that. <laughs> But that's okay. I was the better trumpet player. You were not going to win at that. True. And um, but I think that still made us better. Like, okay, if I'm going to be the better trumpet player, I'm going to really go be good. Um, and to this day, you're a great pianist, fueled by that desire to just keep getting better every day because it was your thing. Yeah, I think competition is also something that when we're exposed to it, especially early on, it allows us to discover what we're good at and what we're not and have an honest assessment of that, which is tough. I mean, obviously, we both are raising kids and they're starting to get into more competitive phases of life where, you know, it's no longer everyone gets a trophy at the end of the soccer season, but it's nope, you're going to try out to make the team and all of these kind of things. And so that's oh gosh, it just feels so unsettling. And yet I know it will be so good for them because I know it was so good for us to learn early on that we have different strengths. We're good at different things. And so you have to sort that out in life. And part of sorting that out, whether it's in your personal life or let's take it to the industry level, which is where we're heading here quickly, is you know you gotta figure out where your edge is. What is it that you are uniquely positioned to do better than others? Where do you have the best opportunity to serve the population that you're serving? And when you find that out and when you start to see that ex excel, you know, that that acceleration happening, then then you get to zero in on those pieces. And so we want to talk about how competition can fuel our fire, but there's also a balancing act, right? Laura and I like to talk a lot about balance. It keeps coming up because sometimes competition can fuel the fire. It can also put it out. And so Laura, let's start to draw some of those lines around that. When is competition good? When is it at its healthiest point? I think healthy competition is the competition that is less about who you're competing against, but more about what you're competing for. So it could be I am competing against even myself because I want to become a better and better 
musician, a better and better public speaker. I want to get better every time I give a performance appraisal to someone at giving good feedback and having excellent conversations. That competition against yourself can be so healthy because it leads to personal growth. So I think that's a really good place to start. But then I also think there's this competition that we'll call the friendly fire competition, right? The which shift made more product um, or which of our teams can get more line items entered. Um, Those are probably really tactical ones, but I think it's important to talk about, right? Understanding where you stand in a competitive sense makes you want to get better. So again, it comes back to self-improvement, but you're at least getting a view of where you stand to help fuel that a little bit more. So it makes it different than that competition with me the day before yesterday conversation. Um, So I think those places where competition is focused on how do I get better? How do I keep winning my customer's attention? How do I keep winning market share? How am I winning pocket share or the spend of their money? How am I winning the mind share of people by getting their attention on social media or by getting them to listen to, I don't know, my podcast, right? That (laughs) is good competition that's making everyone benefit from having a better quality product in the market, whether that product is a service or a physical good. I think what I'm hearing you zero in on, Laura, is that when we're competing against ourselves, we're often in some of the healthiest realms. Now, this could be an overstatement and a generalism that gets sorted out in the rest of this conversation, but sometimes when our competitive edges turn to other people, we start to lose focus on the, okay, am I am I trying to do this to the very best of of my ability and the very best of its possibility or simply better than that other person? And so not to go down that road yet, but what I hear you saying is that with the front end of that, when we're trying to do our best and the best possible outcome for whatever we're doing and not so much comparing, but competing with the result, we can stay in a healthier realm. And again, I'm going to go to running and everybody's going to be so tired of me talking about this. But one of the things I love about running, and it's not just running, but Um, you talk all the time about getting a PR. And I am not a competitive enough runner that I'm out there, you know, winning races and that kind of thing. And so what I know going into every race is I'm going in with a mentality of what is my PR in this distance currently? And can I beat that? And so, you know, that's a very healthy place. Whereas if I go into a race going, um, I'm going to try to beat that girl up there who clearly um, is, you know, dressed to, for success. You, you can tell at a race who's dressed to win. They're the people who are not at all dressed for the weather. And, and they're going to win. And, you know, I'm just setting myself up for failure there. But when I'm competing against myself and going, okay, how am I pushing to that next level then then I'm in a healthy zone. Do you agree with that or is that too much of a generalism? So I agree in principle, but I'm going to nitpick at one part of that because mm-hmm. I do think there's an element of knowing who's in front of you to help pull you forward that is an important part of competition. So let's take sure. your race let's take your race metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been an accomplished runner, though I faked it just for the love of doing social time it runs um, for a lot for a lot of years. And my the only thing that kept me moving forward most of the time was to say, okay, that chick up there in pink, let's pass her next. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, that guy up there with the yellow hat, he's my next target. It wasn't about them. It was about using them as a 
pace setter or about using them as a target that, okay, my next goal is to pass that. So let's use Instagram terms if you're trying to build a public persona. My next goal is to have any as many followers as John Acuff. You know, my next goal is to have as many followers as insert name here, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really healthy way to kind of pick at people and say, it's not that I want to tear them down or pull them back. I do want to use them, though, as a way to pull forward. Now, I think that whole thing turns on its ear a little bit when you start talking about competition in industry, because now there is a finite amount of resources that you're competing for. And for you to grow sometimes, your competitor does have to fall backwards. If I have 35% of the market share in my industry and there's only two competitors, I'm likely going to have to take someone else's market share in order to grow my own, Mm -hmm. unless I come up with an innovation that completely disrupts the market. But again, my competitors are likely going to lose in that scenario. And that is, that's real. Oh, that's absolutely real. And I mean, I think it's pretty clear in a in a business mentality, like you were talking about, there's a there's a defined market share within any industry that you're competing for. It's interesting when you flip that on its head and take that into a nonprofit sphere um, or even you know church sphere sphere specifically. Where I am, one of the criticisms that's often levied against churches is that we compete when we really shouldn't be. <laughs> and and I'll be the first to admit that that is so dangerous and such an interesting place because, you know, there's lots of churches and we're all trying to reach people with, you know, relatively, you know, similar intentions and goals kind of thing. Um, but it is different. And I think of it even more so in the nonprofit realm, fundraising dollars, right? There's oh, only so much charitable giving that people are doing. It's actually diminishing in our country, despite some prosperity in financial terms. And so there's a clear competition. And there's a reality that, you know, we've got to do our our best work. We've got to become really transparent. Um, We've got to be so very accountable and good stewards, because people have a lot of options of where they can give, and they want to maximize their dollars. And so, in some ways, there's that there's the dangerous level of where that competition can go lurking right around the corner, but there's a healthy place in there that says, I'm going to compete in a way that says, I'm going to do the very best I can because there is only so much out there and I believe in what we're doing. I think that's important, Jen. And, and I'll say it this way. I think a really good gut check for all of us is when you make your competitive statement, are you saying... Um, I want to beat them in my goal to finish the race or, you know, to use your church setting. I want to get more people here for the sake of winning more hearts for Christ. Um, In a competitive standpoint, I want to sell more of my product to make this category of person's life better, right? I want to sell more of my Swiffer product because it's going to help more people clean their houses better. That's hilarious. I could name a cleaning product, by the way. Um, Right? Like, You're using that kind of sentence that is about making your base of customer or your base um, better, as opposed to saying, you know, I want to grow my market because I'm trying to take out the competitor or I would love to see that store close. That's when you really have to check yourself and say, am I competing for someone else to lose or for my customer to win? 
Yes. Okay. And so let's take that a step further because right now as we're talking about competition in industry, we, we've been talking about competition between um, companies or between you know people in the same industry. But now let's take that to the context of within your own company or your own department or your own team. Now we're on a whole nother level of where that competition can get really interesting really quickly. I have to agree with that. And it's going to be funny because somehow I'm going to make this conversation about metrics and you're going to want to come through the (laughs) microphone at me. Um, But I think that's a really important one. So I even referenced earlier, you know, maybe there are metrics in place that says which shift is more productive or which employee is more efficient. Um, And those can be problem causing if they're used in the wrong way, right? It can't be about beating just so you win. It has to be about beating the number or performing better so that you keep pulling everybody along. Kind of the whole principle we've always heard about keeping the water level rising, right? The whole Mm -hmm. reason you want to compare shifts against one another is so that everybody is getting better, not so that you are taking out another shift. Um, Or so you can say, this one keeps doing better. Let's go understand why so that we can make everybody better because maybe they figured something out that nobody else has and we could get all three shifts to that level of productivity, right? That's when it's the right thing. And even interdepartmentally um, in a big business in particular, I think, right? Competition can start to be a, hey, I got all my KPIs green. So if we miss the financials, it's on you boys and girls. That's not the environment you wanna create. You wanna create an environment where together we win if we can get these metrics green and let's compete against the clock or against the meter, not against trying to deflect our someone else's activity as failure. I'm trying to get the right way to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not trying to deflect um, to make someone else the failure. You're trying to win and all get better together. Absolutely. I, I, I've got an illustration. I've got an example that is very um just hilarious and surface. So in our office recently, our database where we keep all of our information, you know, about people that we have and email addresses and phone numbers and all that kind of stuff. So our people database that we keep as a church um, had just, it got, it had gotten a little messy and we try to regularly keep it updated, keep it cleaned up. But, you know, in the course of things, it just gets overrun a little bit. But nobody's, you know, dream moment at work in a given day is to go clean up the database. And so I made it a competition in our office and I told everybody that the person who could make the most changes and did the most cleanup in the in the database um, would get their favorite snacks added to the um, kitchen shared snack stash that I try to keep supplied. And so this a really ridiculous, really ridiculous illustration, but the goal was shared is is where I'm going with this. Everybody won by having a clean database because it means when any of us go to communicate with people about student ministry or kids ministry or any different piece, it helps all of us if we're dealing with the best information and communicating in in the most accurate ways. And so everybody was going to win with the cleanup. We just needed a little bit of fuel. We just needed a little bit of incentive. And so if cashews or Sour Patch Kids were going to do the trick, then um, I was offering it. Did, did I get that right, Laura? 
I work for Special Dark. I want to be really clear about that in case I'm ever in this situation with you. Like the Sour Patch Kids and the cashews are lovely, but Hershey's Special Dark is what really makes me bring home the bacon. Well, you got to know your people. And bacon. Bacon, by the way. Bacon. Bacon. Yes. Bacon. Um, So, Jen, I'm going to go down a road. I'm going to make it quick. But I really feel the need to also clarify that competition goes sour when you're willing to win at all costs. And mm-hmm. I think that needs to be said, especially in this day and age where we see all too much people willing to do the wrong thing in the name of winning. And I'm going to, we started talking about sports and I'm going to pick on the sports arena right now. Um, when this episode airs, we'll be a couple weeks past the, what I'll call a scandal though I don't think it was scandally enough, quite frankly, but the issue with cheating in Major League Baseball that was being handled um, by the by um, Major League Baseball. And there's a really great example of some top teams, teams that have won championships in the last few years that are now known to have cheated to make that happen. And that is a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's really concerning to me that we live in a society where um, – didn't really cause a lot of pause for people to realize that folks were willing to go beyond what the rule book said was acceptable and do something wrong in order to help get a win. And I think it's really important that as our society becomes increasingly competitive, as we start to chase things and really, you know, more and more um, exalt the winner, that we remember that there's a right way to win. And I know I'm preaching right now, now and that is your job however i just have to say it out loud that for all of our listeners i gave the early check yourself what's your motivation for winning but this is the big check yourself if you are willing to do something that is against the rules or even gray stop and really question what you're doing yeah and that needs to be preached because it's it's definitely an ends justifying the means conversation. And, you know, we've talked a little bit already about how competition can be a really good, really useful, really helpful thing. But the minute we've crossed the line that says whatever it takes to win, we've we've crossed boundaries and ended up in some really interesting situations. So I'm glad that you said that, Laura. In our next segment, we're going to dig in to a little bit more of this. What are some of those things that push people maybe to the very edge of what they're willing to do to win? But what are our underlying motivators to succeed? And are they healthy? And are they unhealthy? And where do those things land? Listeners, today in Real Talk, we're going to get down and dirty about how competition plays out in the workplace. Jen, I'd like you to tell our listeners about the time you put a scoreboard in the office and it was not well received. It was not at all well received. And I love a scoreboard. So I was all about it and really confused why everyone else wasn't. So we were introducing a new concept. I've actually talked about it in brief moments in this podcast before, but it was based on a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution by Stephen Covey. And it was such a good book. I highly recommend it. A ton of companies, um, big companies out there have used it, still use it. This is um, this is a continuing to grow concept. It's been out for several years. They're actually getting ready to put out an updated edition. And so I highly recommend the the four disciplines of execution. But 
I I had some missteps with it, and one very specifically around one of these four disciplines, which does come down to the scoreboard, and there were two problems in how I presented it. I got so excited about it, and I put up the scoreboard, and it spoke to everything that motivates me. I am fueled by the W. I am I am for putting a, a W in the win column. I am for um, setting a goal and beating it. And that that carries me. I don't need a trophy for it. I just need to know that I won. And so I made an assumption that because I'm fueled by that, other people are fueled by that. Turns out that's not the case. And the other mistake that I made is that I had read the book and put all of this out in front of our team, but I went too far ahead on my own and I understood the metrics of what was leading to the score, but I didn't make that clear for my team. And so I set up a competition where people weren't clear on the rules. And so again, with this whole competitive, don't break the rules. um, If you don't know the rules of the game that you're trying to play, then the scoreboard is pure frustration. Everybody has to know what is it that it takes to win? What are we trying to win? What is my best role in this game? And so that's a real talk example of where I tried to use competition to lead my team forward. And instead, I confused some of the, well, to say it this way, the rules of competition, which are understanding um, what we're measuring and how you're scoring and also knowing what motivates your team. Jen, my favorite part of how you told that story was how passionately you wanted us to understand that you're very competitive and that that (laughs) motivates you. So I might have to have a competitive compete off and get the most competitive people I know together just for kicks. And I can tell you that your first opponent will be someone else named Jennifer who loves Michigan sports. And she know who she is if she's listening right now. She talks the same way. I want the W, baby, and competition <laughs> fuels. So I love these competitive Jennifers in my life. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is real talk. Listeners, we're going to continue this conversation about competition and kind of break down a little bit what fuels people as we enter competition. So you're all hearing Jen in particular really put voice to how competition can make somebody go. Um, But for each person, it's a little bit different what that secret sauce is that actually sparks the flame of competition. Did I mix enough metaphors there? You did. I loved it, though. I loved it. Oh, fantastic. You are winning the metaphor game. Fantastic. That's what I was going for. So put it on the scoreboard. (laughs) Jen, I think it'd be really great if you start us off in this segment and break down for us the types of motivation that exist. So we know there's two major kinds. There's the inside and kind of the outside. Walk us through it. Yeah. So when it comes to motivation, and this is where I was talking in our Real Talk segment today, that People are motivated by different things, but we fall into these basic categories. And so it's important that we figure out what is it that motivates us so we can tap into that. And if you're leading a team or you're parenting a kid or you're in any scenario where you're trying to move people collectively toward a goal, you have to know what motivates 
the other people. And so what I've learned is that our motivators do fit into two big categories, being our intrinsic motivators and our extrinsic motivators. The intrinsic motivators, those are those inside forces that compel us to win. So we're back to the personal record. What is it inside of me that wants to achieve this goal? What part of me um, is is driven by that win? Or the other piece of the intrinsic motivator is what is the fear that is fueling this particular piece? Because fear is big in competition, right? Like you hear people all the time that say, I only run if something's chasing me. And so, you know, you, you put a fire literally underneath someone, it's going to make them go faster. And so we have to be able to identify what are the internal drivers that push us to go further, to go faster, to try harder, whatever that whatever that piece is. And those are our intrinsic motivators. And then on the other side of that, you have the extrinsic motivators. So when I'm offering um, you, Laura, special dark chocolate um, to do a really good job on this episode or to, um, to make it to the end of a crazy work week or whatever it happens to be, I'm offering you an external reward. Um, These things are as basic even as compensation, right? Not many people would show up for their job every day if they weren't getting paid. Now, at some point, one of the things we all know is that money only goes so far. There are a lot of other factors that motivate people in the workplace, whether that's autonomy, um, all kinds of things motivate in the workplace. But those are external. Another big piece of the external, along with the reward, or the compensation is affirmation, right? It's how we're seen. It's how we're viewed. It's um, did people recognize? Did I gain a friend? Um, did I gain an ally? Did I, you know, did did someone see that success and note that success? And so those are external pieces that motivate us as we go forward. Laura, would you add anything to those? So I think what I'd like to do is break into each of them from a leader of people example so or point of view. So when you think about that intrinsic motivation, Jen talked about the desire to win, maybe the fear that motivates you. When we use that kind of motivation, we tend to really be striving for um, how are we going to get really long-term quality, steady results. This is the thing that just is that ever lit fire that somebody has. So it's really important as a leader to understand what that thing is for people. What do they find gratifying? Winning may not do it for them. They may have no fear, but maybe that long-term gratifying thing for them is I'm helping people. I think this happened, like in the nonprofit sector, let's be honest, um, salaries usually are not as high as the for-profit sector, right? Mm -hmm. The work is hard. You usually don't get a lot of handshakes and hugs for what you do. Um, But the knowledge that you are helping mankind, making your city better, um, helping care for animals, whatever that area is where your heart and passion lies is, that makes you want to work. You're gratified by the work and the opportunity in front mm-hmm. of you. And I think it's so important. And the part of the reason that as leaders, we can't step back and refer to employee 1, 2, 3, 97, 100. Um, they need to be people to us so that we can understand what 
is gratifying for them and tap into that to help them feel good about the long journey um, where we really see the quality results for our business, for um, for our, whatever it is we're trying to do, right? How do you work the long game? And I think that's such an important part of intrinsic motivation is it's fueling steady power. No, that's really, really good. I want to reiterate that actually for everybody because I'm writing that down. The intrinsic, the internal motivators, the things that we're able to tap into on our own are always going to be better for the long-term quality results. If I'm if I'm quoting Laura directly there, you know, it's connecting that. That's what's going to get you further because I'm going to let you flip it, um, Laura, and say the other side because I think it's equally important. But again, we've got to be able to find those drivers inside of ourselves because if we always depend on something on the outside – we're going to fall short at some point. And so I really like how you said that, Laura. I am winning. <laughs> Back on Just the scoreboard. Kidding. I know. That's terrible. <laughs> Please don't judge us, listeners. We're really trying to be chill. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the extrinsic mo- extrinsic. It's a hard motivation. word. It's a hard word. Oh, my word. gosh. I should have practiced that 40 times before this episode. <laughs> so extrinsic, as you described for us, that's like you're getting a reward. You're receiving affirmation. These are, I'm going to call them the quick shot motivators, right? This is when you are injecting motivation to get that short-term gain, um, or maybe very of precise gain. You really need to get this one thing done and done incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And it's a very targeted type of motivation. So for example, maybe you have a surplus of a product at your company, and you're offering that $500 Amazon gift card to the employee that can move the most of that product in the next two weeks. It is a very specific motivator that is helping us get that one reward. That's not to say that extrinsic motivators can't ever be long-term. I think there's an element of um, compensation and benefits that certainly looks at that um, and and leans into that more heavily. Um, I'm not a comp and bend person by trade, but I understand it in theory, right? And I certainly know how it impacts me personally. But I think it's important with this extrinsic to really get in contrast to the intrinsic. This is about short-term, really targeted gains. And you have to be very careful about how you imply this because it can be gone as quickly as it came. It's no different than with your kids. How do you make a decision about when to give them praise? Because you can praise a kid for something, but if that praise is the only thing that gets them to do it or is their entire sustaining power, it's going to get exhausting up in here trying to praise your kid. And then what happens, God forbid, when you need to discipline? Right. No, that's that's a really good point. And a quick illustration on that front, I, I recently had a friend who was sharing with a group of people that her husband had offered their kids who play soccer very competitively um, a motivator and had told them in the last season that if they scored a certain number of goals, then they were going to go to Carowinds as a family. And she said she pushed back on it a lot. She wasn't quite on the same page as her husband when he threw that out there. But I think it was, um, he used Mia Hayam, and I could be wrong about that, but I think it was her parents who had done something similar for her as she was growing up in soccer. And so he wanted to try it. And she was very 
uncertain of whether that would be a good thing. But in the short term, what she was sharing was that that season, it became a fun, but also a good motivator at an early point in their game. But then she was very quick to say, but ultimately, they've got to love the game if they're going to keep playing. That's only a one season fix. So that's what I was thinking of when you said that, just to take that out of the work world for a minute and into the parenting world, that you can use those things sometimes very effectively for that short-term, very specific gain of, hey, I want you to be more competitive. I want you to take more shots on goal. Um, But ultimately, you're not going to play this game and work to get better at it to go to Carowinds because there's only so many times you can ride the roller coaster. Especially as you get older, right? Right. So that's a great example. I'm going to drag us back into the business world because I'm just, I have a lot of passion for this that I didn't know I had until this moment. (laughs) Um, I'm going to use an example of the retention bonus um, in the world that I live in as another type of intrinsic, extrinsic motivator. And in this case, what I'm really getting at is the fact that... um, you know, sometimes you want to compensate your employees for a really short-term gain like a retention bonus, right? So I'm saying, you know what, we're going through, maybe it's a divestiture situation and you need to make sure you're retaining folks. Put a retention bonus in there. That's going to help do some of that work. However, um, a retention bonus isn't going to help you address a chronic culture issue that's making people leave your workplace. Um, At some point, That's a quick check, and it might buy you some time and some grace through a difficult issue. But the reality is, in this case as an employer, the competition you're in is not to keep paying. The competition you're in is to win the heart of your employees. How Mm -hmm. do I make this a place they want to work, that they want to be in, where they find intrinsic motivation that makes them feel good about the work that they're doing. And I really think it's just important to use examples like that to understand that you really need to think as a leader about the time and the place um, for when to use these different types of motivation. And I think the retention bonus, which is a really, frankly, controversial compensation topic, um, is a really good example of that that kind of brings it home for everybody and helps you think about there's a right time for every time of motivation. Well, exactly. And I don't live in the world of the retention bonus, but the translation's really easy. I mean, ultimately, y- you can only give someone something for so long. They have to want it eventually. And it goes back to where I was talking earlier with the idea that you do have to identify what fuels and motivates the people around you because it's going to be different things and those things are going to change over time. So what motivated someone at one point isn't necessarily going to be the thing that motivates them again. And so as leaders, we have to be paying attention to that. We have to be identifying that and we have to be truly feeding that healthy competitive fire, but from a very intentional standpoint of knowing how to balance, back to balance, the intrinsic and the extrinsic motivators. So this entire conversation has motivated me to really go actually think about this conversation more (laughs) in my own work. I know I said that funny, but I'm actually being serious for once. Um, I think there's so much to think about in what we just unpacked. And I'm really hoping that our listeners can take that and maybe just pick out an employee or two around you, or maybe someone even that you volunteer alongside of, um, and really intentionally start to understand 
what makes them tick and what makes them want to work. And I think it'll be amazing how you can see how you can help motivate them and they can help motivate you. Um, and then ultimately, how you enter competition together um, to be industrious and to build for a better objective. So I think that's our listener challenge this week. Go take this, apply it, and get to know the people around you better and how competition can make you all win. I love it. This feels like homework. This feels like a challenge. Challenge accepted. I will finish it first and I will finish it best. You so sound like Andy Bernard on The Office right there. Like, I think that's who I want to compare you to right Andy now. Andy Bernard, that is the name of me. Yes. So <laughs> just don't put your hand through a wall like Nard Dog, please. I will not, even though I am so competitive. Oh my goodness, this is going to be fun. It's time to walk down memory lane, and we're going to walk right into one of Laura's competitive memories that's not as great as the time that they won the Atlantic Coast Championship in marching band. This was actually a time when the scoreboard did not end up in your favor, Laura. Talked about, talk to us about it. So this is a basketball memory for our listeners. Jen swears she didn't play in this game, though I think she's <laughs> choosing to forget she played in this because it was a horror show. Um, high school basketball, such a fun point in our lives. And in this particular game, we had successfully made our way to playoffs as a team. So excited. Our school had not been there for a really long time. We were so proud of getting there. Um, we were, of course, seated a little bit low. But you get yourself pumped up. with You read every story in the world about how 16 seeds can beat one seeds and nines beat eights and all that kind of stuff. So you can... you honestly do believe you can win this Hoosiers. Game. One word. Hoosiers. Amen, sister, right? Which is a beautiful, wonderful movie. It preaches, baby. But it doesn't always happen that way, boys and girls, <laughs> right? In this particular instance, we walk into this gym believing we had a chance to win this game, and the scoreboard within moments reflected that we were going to be happy to leave with our dignity. Um, <laughs> And I, to this day, remember, so this would have been, I think it was my junior or senior year of high school, which means that it was 25-ish years ago. To this day, I remember that we lost that game as a final score of 26 to 62. We got wiped off the floor um, for this game. It was completely crazy. So I just will say this to my listeners. Um... This memory lane moment stands to show you that sometimes you are going to lose and the scoreboard isn't going to say what you want it to say. And the key is to know what to do with that emotion. In this case, it was to cry on the bus on the way home. <laughs> but I would suggest that there are more mature choices you could probably make in the future. Um, but it really is just funny to look back and think about the fact that we've always been so fueled by emotion that I can still remember that game like that. That's so funny. And I I don't think I played that game, although I definitely remember going to districts the next year, and I think we got our clocks cleaned again. So definitely been there, but it has also made both of us people who still love the game and Amen. love to dig in. Um, I love going out to play with my boys and show them that mama still got game. So... The competition I still can't rolls go. On. Oh, absolutely. I love looking for a pickup game, though. I will say more and more, I like looking for them to hoot the others that are playing and keep my <laughs> out of shape 40 something body on the sidelines so I'm still functional the next day. 
Oh my. Good times. That's memory lane moment. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode on competition. In the spirit of competition, we need to thank our listeners. We thank you so much for choosing to spend your time and your extra energy listening to the Sisters of Industry and sharing what you're learning from us and information about us to your friends on social media and beyond. We're so thankful for all of you listeners and we hope that every time you turn into the Sisters of Industry, something makes you laugh, something helps you to think, and one way or another, you find yourself growing in your industrious life. Sisters, business, what can go wrong? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Join us weekly as Laura and Jen reflect on their shared upbringing and divergent life experiences to draw out lessons to help us all lead and live meaningful, industrious lives.